All right, all right. Good morning. If you guys are thankful to be in church and out of the weather, come on, let's give God some praise in this place. Yeah, yeah, a couple, couple snowflakes fell down out there. Milk and bread is gone. It's just gone. I mean, everybody's buckling down for bread and milk sandwiches. I don't know why. We are in a series. God never said that. I hope you guys have enjoyed this series. We started off by talking about this phrase, God just wants me to be happy. We've been talking about phrases that maybe we've grown up hearing, we've said them before, we've heard them in church, but we know that they're actually not biblical and they're probably things that God did not say. And so we've been talking and kind of breaking down the misconceptions with that. So first week we talked about God just wants me to be happy. We talked about, look, God does want you to be happy, but we don't actually know what makes us happy. He knows what makes us happy. So the way for us to be happy is to pursue his holiness. And that we can't, we can't make ourselves holy, but because of what Jesus did, he makes us holy. And out of a place of, of desiring relationship with him and walking in his holiness, that's where we actually find true fulfillment and happiness. And then last week we heard a great word from Pastor Rick where we broke down the misconception that sex is bad. And I got to enjoy watching so many kids sit between their parents <laughs> during that service and squirm. And, and I was very, very thankful that Pastor Rick talked about that last week. Anybody else appreciate that word last week? It was good. So many great one-liners in that sermon. And uh, I would love to quote a bunch right now, but we're gonna move on. Today, we're gonna talk about this false theological idea that everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Anybody ever have somebody say that to you before? And some of y'all, you may have even said that. I've said things that are close to that. So, and here's the thing, like when it's super spiritual people, they say this about everything. You know, like you drop your iPhone in the toilet and your meaning well Christian friends like, well, everything happens for a reason. Say. Yeah, I was on my phone while I was in the bathroom and I dropped it in the toilet. That's, that's why it happened. Or a roommate drinks all of your Dr. Pepper. Everything happens. For, or Dr. Thunder if you're on a budget. Come on, everybody, Dr. Thunder. If you're on a budget. Everything happens for a reason. But you get laid off from your job that you loved. And some well-meaning Christian comes, well, everything happens for a reason. You struggle with anxiety and depression. Everything happens for a reason. You grew up with an abusive father. Well, everything happens for a reason. Your marriage goes through tough times. Everything happens for a reason. You go through multiple miscarriages. Everything happens for a reason. God just needed another angel in heaven. You go through cancer or some other sickness. Everything happens for a reason. I've talked with people before about their past and even their past mistakes. And in talking to them about it, they'll say something like, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. I'm like, really? I would. If I think about my past and some of the mistakes I've made and some of the things I've gone through, it's like, look, I would definitely change some of that stuff. Like the whole point of being able to communicate my testimony to somebody so that hopefully they don't do some of the same stuff. But there's definitely some things that we, most of us, if we we're honest, like we would probably want to change this. Now, let me be clear. God is sovereign. 
And God often does things on purpose and for a purpose. But to say that every tragedy that happens in life happens for a reason or that God is orchestrating all this stuff, that everything is sourced by God himself, like all suffering is a part of God's cosmic plan, that's just off. It's not true. I think some of this idea could come from verses in the Bible that maybe we just read the wrong way or out of context. Uh, one of the verses that comes to mind is in Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. This is a very powerful scripture. I've quoted it hundreds of times. Some of you have quoted this verse, but it does not say that everything that happens is controlled by God. What it says is that God causes, can cause, wants to cause everything that does happen to work for good. But God doesn't make everything happen. We'll get more into that in a minute. So why do things happen? Why do things happen? Uh, if you're taking notes, let's take some notes today. First of all, because of chaos. Because of chaos. Some synonyms for the word chaos. Disorder, disarray, disorganization, confusion, mayhem, bedlam, pandemonium, madness, havoc, turmoil, Tumult, tumultuous, that's where that word comes from. Commotion, disruption, upheaval, furor, frenzy, uproar. Sounds like your morning getting ready for church, right? Anybody else? This is a world that we're born into. Like we're born into a mess. That's why there's unrest. That's why there's poverty and abortion and sex trafficking and, and natural disasters. Like all this stuff that's happened is because we are born into a broken world and there is a war going on between good and evil. Just look at the news. Like check out Twitter, check out a few, just a couple minutes on Facebook. That's really all I would encourage you to be on there for because it just gets out of control with just how chaotic and jacked up the world is that we live in. Where did it all start? Well, the Garden of Eden. And we've talked about this recently, but just to summarize, you can read more about it in Genesis chapter three if you want, but God had set Adam and Eve up in the garden. Everything was perfect. Had perfect bodies, running around naked, no in-laws, perfect. Everything was perfect. But God had put them in a garden where he gave them a choice. He gave them free will. He said, look, there's these two trees there and one of the trees you can eat of, it's the tree of life, eat from that tree. But the other tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. If you eat from that tree, your eyes will be open. It's, gonna, it's not gonna be good for you. So anybody raising kids and when you tell them, do not touch, do not touch, how many of y'all know that's like the first step in asking them to touch it? Like they, they read it that way. I was actually this morning out in the foyer, there was, was a, a father and son sitting over by one of the fire alarm things. And I watched this kid like turn around and catch that red on that fire. And he just starts leaning in. And you could tell like he was proud of himself that he could read all the instructions on it. And he just like gets ready to go. And his dad wasn't really seeing it. And then his dad sees it, he like grabs him. The son's like, what? And so even after his dad told him don't do it, the son's just like looking at it like, 
Oh, I want to though. <laughs> what does it do? Well, that tendency is in every person. It was certainly in Adam and Eve. And so we know the story, you know. Eve flew it, messed it up for everybody. And, uh, Adam and Eve made a decision. And because of that, from that day until now, the reason why we live in so much chaos is because people operate out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because sin entered into this perfect world where everything was completely, I mean, the, 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 the ecosystem, everything was in alignment. And from that day forward, everything just started progressively falling into chaos. It's the world that we live in. And the enemy does have some domain. Like the enemy does have some power. Now, I think we give him way too much credit. Like some, some people, it's like everything's a demon. Everything's a demon. Oh, man, I, I was about to pull in this perfect parking spot over there at the Walmarts and somebody else just swooped right in there. I was like, not today, Satan, not today. <laughs> not today. It's like, come on. <laughs> Is it really going to hurt you to walk 60 more feet into the Walmart? I mean, come on. But, but he, does, he does have some authority. He does have a little bit of ability to mix things up, but most of it's just because of the broken world. Another reason, because of choices. Because of choices. Man, we live in a culture, we have so many choices. Golly, so many choices. I think one of the issues we struggle with as a culture, though, is it seems, it feels like it's easier to make choices without thinking about the consequences of the choices. You know, you think about Amazon Prime, right? Like, you could literally never have to leave your house. Like, and so now it's like you don't, you don't have to get ready and get loaded up in the car and, and always, and even if, even if you drive to the store now, they'll just shop for you. So you just pull up. And so you're not even having to think about everything you're going to have to go through to make the choices to even get groceries. And I think like when we had to always think through all that stuff, you would think about the consequences more. Now you don't have to think about the consequences, so it's a lot easier. Click, 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 click. Yeah, I need that. Oh, I need two of those. I need three of those. Oh, yeah. Give me some of that. So many choices. Young people these days, man, I, I, it is crazy, the world that you're having to grow up in. Because not only is choices more readily available, but, but, but even the sin, the choices of sin is more readily available than ever before. And so, you know, I remember growing up, like if you wanted to watch a movie growing up, young people, you won't understand this. But it used to be when we wanted to watch a movie, we had to go to this place called Blockbuster. Yeah, and you had to go over there and, and, and you would walk through this store and they had VHS tapes. Look it up on Google later. And, and, and you would have the cover of the movie and then you would have the movie you could rent behind it. But there were so many choices and you just knew, it, it was so, there was a lot of anxiety involved with it because you're like, how do I know? Like, you could watch a preview, maybe, but most of the previews you could only watch at the theater. Like, you couldn't find out. Like, we had these, these two guys that would give us a rating, a thumbs up or a thumbs down. That's the only way we knew if something was good. <laughs> that was it. 
We didn't have rotten tomatoes, all this other stuff. And so you had to like, and, and so your parents like, you have five minutes, just like, ah, ah, you didn't know what to do. If you didn't have a VCR, don't worry, they got a suitcase, boom. Like you could check one out, you could rent a VCR too. You know, now you got your smart TV. I mean, you can start watching me and be like, no, I don't like that. Just go back and pick something else. Y'all are spoiled. I don't feel bad for you at all. But we got to make choices and it's hard. God gave us the ability to make choices. We have free will. The biggest question in Christianity is this, why do bad things happen to good people? Number one question, pastors are asked, I know I've been asked that question a ton. And in a lot of ways, this is like the top mystery of our faith, but the assumption that is off in this statement is that somebody's good. The assumption is that somebody is good but at what point do we become good? The problem is we begin to have some sort of man-made marker for who is good and who is bad, and then we measure by that man-made marker. We all do this. I know I've done it. Mark chapter 10, verse 18 Jesus said, why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. Okay, now Jesus was God. And so was he good? Yes, but he's making the point of, look, God is the only one that is good, and he is the standard by which we measure everything. So if he's the standard by which we measure everything, and he's good, guess what? None of us are good. There are no good people. Welcome to church where we could encourage you today. <laughs> but we compare our goodness against others' badness when we should only compare our goodness to the goodness of Jesus Christ. So why do bad things happen? Well, we put ourselves in toxic environments. We allow people to take advantage of us. We date the wrong people. We eat bad things. We overspend. We don't trust God and put him first. But we are the common denominator of all the bad decisions we've ever made. Now other people do make bad choices and other people's bad choices do affect us. There's no doubt about that. We've been hurt by others. So that, that brings us to the next one. Another reason why is because of chance. Because of chance. Anybody ever hit a deer before or an animal and messed up your vehicle? Anybody? Okay. It doesn't make you a bad driver. Maybe it does. Look, I lived in Colorado my whole life. Like, I mean, I learned how to drive in, in, in Colorado and in Wyoming. And there's a lot of deer up there. Like, I went... I went all my time living in Colorado driving, never even came close to hitting a deer. I moved to Arkansas <laughs> to hit my first deer. Y'all remember the winter apocalypse of 2005? 
we got like six inches of snow, shut, shut the state down for six months. <laughs> but I was out, <clears throat> the roads got really, really bad because we don't have any way to clear them out. So I had to go out to get something. <clears throat> so I jumped in my forerunner. We had a forerunner at that point. It was four wheel drive. So, and I was very accustomed to driving on bad roads, but I was on this road up behind our house and I was coming down this very, very slight hill. I mean, very slight, it was not steep at all. And all of a sudden, I just start sliding. Like, I do all the stuff you're supposed to do. I didn't, I pump, I'm pumping my brakes, I'm, I'm, but it just doesn't matter. It's just, I'm sliding, but I'm sliding at about 20 miles an hour, maybe slower. And as I begin to slide down this couple hundred yard hill, up ahead of me, I see a couple does crossing the road. So I begin to honk. And they stop. <laughs> I kid you not, I have enough time to roll down my window. <laughs> hey! <laughs> I'm flying here! Move! They still stood there. So literally at about 15 miles an hour, cannot control my vehicle, I hit this deer. And that deer falls over and then gets up and stares at me a little longer and then runs off. <laughs> but the front end of my truck just went. Thousand dollars worth of damage. Hitting a deer at 15 miles an hour. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. Why did that happen to me? Just cause. If you were to say everything happens for a reason, I would say, yeah, because God created deer and let them roam. It's open range venison. That's what it is. And it just so happened that a couple of them crossed the road. And I happened to be in Arkansas where they can't plow the roads and hit one. But it wasn't because God caused that to happen. Now, sometimes it's a combination of things, okay? Sometimes it's a combination of things. Like if I took my iPad, if I picked it up and I threw it with deadly accuracy because I'm like a ninja, basically, and I hit one of you, Eric, if I hit you right in the middle of the forehead, like square between the eyes... Why did that happen? It's because I was born into a chaotic world and I am evil and also an amazing throw. But Eric just so happened to be sitting there. You see, it was by chance that he was there. Can there be other elements involved sometimes? Yeah, because you live in a chaotic world. People make evil choices and you can be on the other end of that. That can happen. But it isn't because God, like, Oh, I don't know. In Eric's case, it might be because God's trying to get his attention. I don't know. <laughs> no, he's an awesome guy. But sometimes things happen. You just can't explain. Okay, one of the things that, that, that changed the course of my life dramatically, when I was really young, I was uh, three or four, I think my dad was in an auto pedestrian accident, meaning he was hit by a car. So he's coming home from hunting. 
and he's in his Jeep. His Jeep runs out of gas. He pulls way off on the side of the road, way off on the shoulder, and he's getting his jerry can with the gas in off the back of his Jeep, and as he's getting the jerry can off the back of his Jeep, a guy veers off the road at 60 miles an hour and hits him. Guy was trying to buckle his seatbelt and eat a sandwich at the same time. Okay? I mean, it, 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 it killed my dad. They were able to revive him. And then, then they said, man, you'd never, he'd never walk again. He was going to lose his legs. He walks, all that. And, but, man, it, it changed the course of my whole family. It changed everything. Um, they got a settlement out of the deal. My parents back in, this is 84, and they got like a $275,000 settlement, which in 84 was big money, lost it all. Lost everything in an investment. Okay, so I can imagine over the last few decades, my dad has wrestled with, why? (laughs) I know we wrestled with it as a family, but I'm sorry, I don't believe that was God orchestrated that. I think an idiot made a choice. He made a choice. He made a decision. And by chance, my dad was on the other end of it. Now, do I believe that God has used it? Oh my gosh. That's my testimony. But not everything happens for a reason. If we believe that everything happens for a reason, then at one point or another, we're going to think that God is always the source of our pain. And if we think that God is the source of our pain, we end up stuffing hurt and pain because we're like, well, God, if everything happens for a reason, then I can't be upset about this. I can't be in hurt. I can't have pain because then it's like I'm saying that God doesn't know what he's doing. And then you don't heal. And a lot of times we just try to rationalize suffering. Sometimes we as believers can think that our role is to try to be God and give all the answers. Look, as a pastor, I've been guilty of that when people come to me and say, why is this happening? I'm, I'm wanna, I want to try to give them an answer. And you know what? I've gotten to a place where sometimes I'm like, I have no idea. All we can do is say, but what now, God? What now? What now? In Romans 8, 20, it says this, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, Adam and Eve. But with eager hope, the creation, even creation, looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from the death and decay, from chaos. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Come on, anybody? Anybody just been groaning like any day now, Jesus? Like I would be, I'm fine. If he came back right now, I'm okay with it. Bring it. But we've just been in that place. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of a future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope 
for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including our new bodies. Come on, no more elliptical. (laughs) That he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. So back to Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God, are called according to his purpose for them. Now, you need to see some of the qualifying statements that are in this verse. This is so important. Because what does it say? It says, he, he, look, he doesn't cause everything. Not everything happens for a reason. But when something does happen, does he want to use it? Yes. You better believe it. There are two people that want to use everything that happens in your life. The enemy wants to use it, and God wants to use it. You get to choose. God wants to use it, but how, how, who does he use it for? For those who love God, who love God. This is a relationship, guys. This is not, this is not, uh, I've, I've shown that I'm a good Christian because I go to church and because I do Christian things. Like, no, this is for those that have a relationship with him, that love God and are called according to his purpose, so if you're, de- if you're determined and you've just been walking in a place where I just kind of want to do my own thing, I think I know what's best for my purpose to be in life. Look, if you're in that place, when it crashes and burns, it's going to be difficult. God can still redeem you, but don't go to this verse. Don't go back to this verse and say, God, I mean, yeah, I, was, I made business decisions that I knew were unethical and against your will, and, but, and I know I'm not walking in your purpose, but turn it around, God, because you made a choice, and you live in a world of chaos, and you need to humble yourself and repent. Now, once that repentance happens, guess what? You can get back on track. It doesn't mean there isn't consequences, but you can get back on track. C.S. Lewis said it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. There's some people that you may be in a place of pain and trial in your life, and it is God trying to get your attention. God is trying to get your attention. God can work within his people in all their circumstances to bring good out of everything. There's no doubt, though, that God wants to use pain in our lives to teach us. So if we have to deal with this pain and the reality that bad things are going to happen, and some of us are right in the middle of it right now. You're right in the middle of this. I want to try to give us some truth that I hope can just help you Know how to process the everything that you're in the middle of right now. Number one, pain will be present. Pain is going to be present. It's going to happen. Once again, this is probably not something you're going to put on your refrigerator, you know. It's not the most encouraging, but it is the truth. Anybody ever just been hit when you weren't expecting it? Okay, anybody ever been hit, like physically hit when you weren't expecting it? You just, it just came out of nowhere. I mean, there, there's nothing worse than that. So I was thinking about, like, when, I, when have I physically been hit the hardest? 
And when I was doing college ministry still, we had a bunch of college students out at this high ropes course. And so we're all out there and we're doing rock climbing and team building and all this kind of stuff. And, and at one point I'm walking around just minding my own business, talking to a friend of mine, but we weren't really paying attention to where we were walking. And as we were walking, he was looking at me and I saw this look of terror come over his face. Like, and right when I saw him do that, I got nailed in the back of the head harder than I've ever been hit before in my life. And it took me straight to the ground. It knocked me out for a second and then, and then I kind of got consciousness and tried to stand back up and then went straight back down to the ground. We had walked underneath the zip line. And they're supposed to like give calls and stuff like on zip line, hey, there's someone coming. No one said anything. And the guy that was on the zip line was turned around backwards, so he didn't even see me. But I got kicked in the back of the head by this guy. He's going about 20, 25 miles an hour and kicked me in the back of the head. And that's the hardest I have ever been hit in my life. Broke the dude's foot in six places through his shoe. So when my wife says I'm stubborn, you better believe it. I have one of the hardest heads of any person you've ever met in your life. Guarantee it. Sometimes we're gonna get hit. Sometimes we're gonna get hit. In John 16, it says this, in this world, you're gonna have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I think when Jesus was talking to his disciples like this, he's just like, okay, yes, I know you all gave up all your careers, you're leaving your families to all follow me, but by the way, it's still gonna be hard. You're gonna have some trouble in your life. Like just because we're, we're I mean, you're enjoying, like we're going around and you're seeing miracles and all this stuff, you're, you're still... You're gonna have some trouble. There's gonna be pain, but keep a bigger picture mindset. Because no matter what happens, it's all overcome by the kingdom of God. And clearly these guys got this deep inside of them. Because all of them, except for John the Beloved, were martyred for their faith and in some pretty cruel ways, like filleted alive, crucified upside down, beaten to death. There's gonna be some hard times. We're gonna face physical pain in our lives. Everyone deals with physical pain in a different way. We, it's hard sometimes for me to have sympathy. Like I feel like not everybody, like our kids are a perfect example of this. Like we have a rule in our house, like we don't give out Band-Aids unless there's blood, okay? Like unless there's blood, because Band-Aids are expensive people, okay? Especially like the Disney <laughs> Band-Aids, okay? But, but we're just like, we're, I'm trying desperately. It's like, kids, there's gonna be some pain. Like you, but it's, it's so hard because everybody feels pain in a different way. And so like one kid, like come in, just have like the, the small, like, if you got out a magnifying glass, you might be able to see it. And they're like, ah! Band-Aid! Triage! And then you have another kid, like, well, he's like, oh, my head hurts. And they'll turn around, they have a fork stuck in it. <laughs> I think I'm okay, though. And you're like, ah, 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 ah. 
We all handle pain differently. But there's going to be pain. I thought I was tough. Like, I thought I was, I thought I could take some pain until I got a kidney stone. <laughs> well. The day that I birthed a nine millimeter kidney stone, that, that, that might have been one of the first times in my life that I truly, desperately called on Jesus to take me home. I remember, like, I could not drive myself. I had to have Cody drive me down to the emergency room. We're driving on the highway. I'm talking to her like, and I want to give this son this gun, and I want to give, and, and they can have all my clothes. I'm just like, I should have wrote out a will. I know I'm going to die. Like, I, we got to the emergency room. I was huddled up in fetal position on the emergency room floor. You got to be in some pain to not be putting it together what you're laying in. We're all going to have some physical pain in our lives. What hurts way more than that, honestly? Emotional pain. Rejection, man. Rejection. Rejection from the people that were supposed to love us or the people that we gave everything to. Most of us would take a kidney stone over that any day. Because that really hurts. When you lose someone. When someone passes away. Relational pain, man. Divorce is one of the most painful things. It's one of the reasons why God says he hates it. It's not because it's like his accelerated sin. It's because he hates what it does to the people that have to go through it. He hates when his kids suffer. He hates when his kids face that kind of pain. He hates that. Anybody ever been to a family reunion? There's some relational pain that can exist in a place like that. Spiritual pain. You know, it's not, it's not unusual for good-hearted, faithful Christians to battle doubt. Like, God, where are you at? Some people with nagging sicknesses, you know, just stuff that's just going on and on. And you're, you want to have faith and you keep asking God and it's just not going away. And it's just like... Are you real? There's pain there. There's also the point that pain is a process. Pain is often a process. First Peter 1.6 says this, so be truly glad. There's a wonderful joy ahead. Man, what a great promise. There's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested with fire, like fire tested and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. We've talked about the process of refining metals before, but if you saw like any of these metals, silver, gold, anything, if you saw it before it was refined, it just looks like a, like a chunk of rock, just like a chunk of coal. Like nobody's going to like put that on a necklace, you know. Nobody's ever said, well, I just, I just want some really unrefined gold just kind of in a rock, put it on a ring. 
because it doesn't have the kind of value at that point. It's only through pressure and heat and time, the process where the true value is drawn out. So if you are in a process, consider the eternal value that God is revealing and drawing out of you and that God would trust you to be faithful in that process. What is God trying to reveal to you? There is no pain-free spiritual growth plan. That's why they're called disciples. The root word is discipline. It's gonna take some pressure sometimes. In the middle of your pain, God could be shaping you into something amazing. There's pain in the, pre in, in, the, in the present. There's also pain often in a process. There's also pain that can serve a purpose. God is always seeing a bigger picture. God is always seeing a bigger picture and trying to work into us a picture. So everyone in here, you have something that you've had to go through in your life that, that can encourage somebody else that might be in the middle of it. You know, one of the things that, that I got to live through, that, that honestly, it was, it was hard. It was painful. But over the course of five years, not having a home, and we just had to live in other people's homes. And I lived out of a bag. At one point, we actually had to live at the church. So we, we lived in one of the classrooms. The church let us stay there, but we, we, we got these cots. And, and what we do is we'd have to wait until late at night, and then we go and... We got a closet, we get all of our cots and stuff out of a closet and go set everything up in one of the classrooms. And then early the next morning before anybody come to the church, we pack everything back up and, and go and put it back in, in the closet. And we lived in that classroom. I tell you, it's, it's pretty humiliating. It, it's, it was a pretty difficult thing. Um, it, you've, you haven't really experienced life until at one point or another, you didn't set your alarm clock right on a Saturday night. <laughs> and you wake up the next morning to a four-year-old kid standing over you, staring at you as you're sleeping, like Chucky. <laughs> Scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. But I'll tell you what, living in other people's homes and being homeless for five years has taught me. Gratefulness. Thankfulness and a sympathy and compassion for those who are in the same position. It also taught me how to get along with people. It taught me how to deal with different personalities and different people, because you live in 45 different people's homes. You're gonna face a lot of different personalities. So I'm thankful for that process. I wouldn't, would I, would I go back and change all that? Yeah, there's parts of it I would definitely change. But am I thankful that God used it? You better believe it. There's a process. People that, have, that are a lot of times most compassionate are those that have experienced firsthand what it feels to be uncared for. A lot of times the, the biggest lovers of people are the people that have been hated the most. Sometimes the best leaders I've ever met 
were under incredibly difficult leadership. They just allowed their hearts to be open to the process. Some of the biggest givers, most generous people that I know are people that grew up with nothing. They had nothing. Because of the pain, they're able to relate and identify with people's struggles. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, For he comforts us all in our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We'll be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. But this doesn't happen unless your heart is open to this, unless you can see the process. David in the Bible had to walk through a process. I mean, you think about it. He is the anointed king of Israel, but he spent years running away from Saul because Saul was jealous and full of demons, quite honestly. But, but read Psalms. And in the, in, the, in the midst of that process and the pain of just being hated for no reason, David wrote these words of his trust in God and what God was putting into his heart. David allowed the process of that pain to be used in his life to make him into the king that God wanted him to be. He wasn't a perfect king and he made mistakes, but he is still one of the greatest leaders that God has ever used. And he would not have been that kind of a leader if he didn't allow God to use the process of pain to make him that way. The great thing is this, God is preparing you for something. The other thing is this, you, you don't have a God or a savior who's unfamiliar <laughs> with pain. He's very familiar. He's the one that intercedes for us. He's the one that prays on our behalf because he knows this pain. In Hebrews 5, it says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I think some of us might be in a place where we're walking through some emotional pain. Rejection or just people that are supposed to love us, treating us poorly. I don't know what it is. It might be a relational deal, relational pain. And some of us, physical pain. We're just hurting. Jesus understands emotional pain. He was, understands relational pain. He was rejected by the people that said they loved him the most, that said that they'd follow him no matter what. He understands physical pain. He was beaten, he was flogged, he had nails put through his wrists and his feet. He understands spiritual pain. What ultimately killed Jesus was a broken heart, the weight of my sin. The weight of the sin of a thousand generations on him at one moment, one point in time, and, and the rejection of his father because of it. He understands pain. And I would just encourage you to keep your heart open in a place where you're going through something. Not everything is happening because God is doing it. But anything that you are going through, 
God wants to use it. And if you'll keep your heart open and just allow yourself to sit with Jesus in the midst of your pain, because that's where he is. He is sitting with you in the midst of your pain. And if you'll keep your heart open, then you're experiencing a process. You're experiencing refining. You're, you're experiencing God drawing something out of you that maybe you need, but you didn't see that you needed, but, but he wants to use it for a purpose. But some of us were without hope in the midst of the pain and the struggles of our life. And it is because that part of that verse, for those who love God and receive the calling that he's given, that's who we can work with. And some of you are not in that place. You haven't surrendered to God. You haven't allowed his love and his grace and his forgiveness to cover your sin and to transform your life and heal you. And if you're here today and you've never done that, I think the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. I know that he is. I just wanna give you a chance to respond to him. If you're here today in the midst of your pain, in the midst of feeling distant from God, in the midst of your hopelessness, if you, if you sense him just saying, but I, I can give you hope, I can give you peace, I can give you joy. And if you're ready to respond to that with nobody looking around, and if that's you, I just wanna pray with you. I wanna, I wanna include you in a prayer today. And if that's you, nobody look around, put your hand up right now, all over this room. And if that's you, as soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Got it, thank you guys, yes, thank you. Got it guys, yes, got you there at the back. Anybody else? I need a relationship with God. I'm away from God. I need to come back to him. I need to come to him for the first time today. Anybody else? Okay. Four, four or five hands, anybody else? All right, for those few folks that raise your hand, I'm so glad you're making this decision. And I want you to know that all of heaven is rejoicing right now with you. Well, let's just talk to God. And you can say this prayer right now, right there in your chair. At one point or another, the word says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you'll be saved. So that means you, you need to go public with this. The part of you being able to walk through the process of being sanctified and, and God healing you is you're gonna need some people to know what you believe. And I'd encourage you to, to go public with your faith through water baptism. We have that going on today. You can get baptized today. If you've never gone public, if you've never declared to the body of Christ, I'm a Christ follower, that can happen today. We even have clothes that you can change into if you need them. But let's just talk to him and say, God, here's my life. I know I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I know that my sin separates me from you, but you had a plan and you sent your son, Jesus. He lived a perfect life, but he endured the worst kind of pain that any human has ever experienced so that he can relate to, to me, to where I'm at. And right now I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. He died on the cross for, 
broken and chaotic world that I'm living in. And I thank you that, that right now I have forgiveness in you. And I do ask that you would forgive me. I ask that you would be the Lord of my life, Jesus. That you would take control, have control. I want to live for you. I want to live the way you want me to live. Thank you. Thank you for that. If you're here today and you would just say, Pastor James, man, I'm in the middle of it. I'm in the middle of it. Whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain, spiritual pain, whatever it is, if that's you, just go ahead and put your hand up right now. I want to pray for you too. I'm just in the middle of that a little bit right now. Father God, for every person that's raising their hand, you see them. They just made a physical act of surrender to you just by raising their hand, God, just to declare, I need you and I need your perspective, God. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna suggest that you're making all this stuff happen right now, but I do wanna declare that I'm gonna give you full authority to use it in my life. God, I'm not gonna assume I know the timing. I'm not gonna assume I know all the details but I am just going to surrender to your presence. I'm gonna to surrender to your plan. I'm gonna to surrender to whatever you wanna do. And I trust you, God. I trust you. God, we ask for healing. God, we ask for reconciliation. God, we ask for all those things that your son gives us authority to because of the sacrifice that he made. And at the end of the day, God, we trust you for the outcome. We know that you are good. You are faithful. You are sovereign. We trust you, God. In Jesus' name.